Mike Tomey, Chair of the Theology Department at DeMatha Catholic High School, and together with Dr. Dan McMahon, Principal of DeMatha, we welcome you to STAG Symposium, where we talk about teaching, interview guests from the DeMatha, greater DeMatha community, and during this inaugural episode, we'll introduce ourselves and give you a sense of the types of things and topics we will talk about. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Uh, again, as Mike said, I'm Dan McMahon. I'm the principal here and an English teacher. Both Mike and I are DeMatha grads. And a couple of expectations that we intend to hold ourselves to is each episode is going to be 25 minutes or less. If we aren't done with the topic at that time, we're going to pick up at the next time we do it and we'll continue with that topic. We will produce show notes with links to any text that we refer to, and we'll be dropping new episodes about every two weeks throughout the school year. So look for us again on December the 18th. Now, we have a number of topics that we're going to be talking about when we have uh, different people on. And if you have any ideas in the audience of things that you think that we should discuss, please email us. And what was the email again, Dr. McMahon? It's a stagsymposium at damatha.org. Stagsymposium, all one word, at damatha.org. So as teachers, we're very inspired by a lot of different things. And some of the topics that we thought would be fun are significant books. I know significant teachers have been a big um, influence in both of our lives, especially yeah. being here at DeMatha. Music, movies, jobs before DeMatha, anything, how people grade, right. um, how you teach on play, humor in the classroom, um, great colleagues, technology, AI, other co-curricular activities, hospitality, um, liberal arts, what we read in the summer. There's just so many things that we can discuss with the richness of the DeMatha community. But you brought up a really good one that I think is a mm -hmm. great prompt for a first episode, and that's the first day that we taught, which when I think about it, it's a little, it's a little scary. I get heartburn because I will never yeah. forget that day. Yeah, I have, uh, I have two first day memories. I'll do the first one and then uh, throw it over to you. But so when uh, I was in high school, my mom was the DRE for the religious education program at St. Millis. And at one point, a teacher either dropped out or couldn't come one week. I can't remember how it was. And I volunteered. I said, well, I'll, I'll teach the <laughs> was fifth grade catechism, uh, whatever it was. And I had zero idea about what I was, was doing. And uh, that may have been the longest hour I have ever spent in a classroom. Uh, but, but I was convinced even afterwards that it is a thing that I should do. I just needed to be a lot better prepared. Yeah, that, that's, a, a, that's really telling. Fifth grade CCD, to me, that is the gauntlet. If you start there, everything is, is downhill from there. Um, I remember my first day at DeMatha. Well, I remember when I got hired. Yeah. And I got hired, and then I came in the middle of the summer, and I was teaching English. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, how do you do that, right? How do you teach English? And the department chair at the time handed me a box of books and said, here are your books. Good luck. <laughs> and I was so scared. And it was my first day of class. I was teaching sophomores, so I was teaching American Lit. And I get up there, and I'm just trying to fake it until I make it. 
And right about five minutes in, I'll never forget this kid. His name was Eric Holden. He raises his hand and goes, you've never taught before, have you? Wow. And so in that moment, I'm trying to figure out how to lie without lying. Like, I'm sure I've taught someone before. Like, I gave someone directions once. Does that count as teaching? I coached a little. Does that count as teaching? So I wanted to um, represent myself in a manner which was creative that made me seem like I was a, a, a seasoned teacher um, because that question caught me off guard. But even after that day, like you said, you had kind of a challenging experience doing fifth grade CCD. You could tell that you were doing something, that it was something that you, where you were supposed to be. And that day is scary. But that also, when I think back about that day, it's also really invigorating. I remember uh, that I had that exact feeling that you described. Uh, my first class I taught in what is now room 201 was then old room 29. And I had a freshman homeroom and actually the current principal at the time, John Moylan, his son Patrick was in that class as a freshman. I, it's a little scary now that I look back on, on that. And I knew even when I goofed up, and I goofed up a lot of times during that first year, and I still do to some extent today, but I knew it was the place I was supposed to be. And I think you're right. There was some sort of invigoration. It was some sort of excitement. There was a, this wonderful opportunity to think out loud with other people. And, uh, and I think in some ways, you know, we're always trying to recreate great classes that we were participants mm -hmm. in as students. Yes. And I think that's, ideally, that's one of the ways we, we pay that forward. Yeah, when I was here, my two Mount Rushmore teachers were Dr. Offit and um, Bill Kelly. Yeah. And I think a lot of DeMatha alumni can, can say that same thing. And experiencing Offit's class was like nothing I had ever um, been through and been through since, but it made such an impression upon me. He was the first person that actually challenged me to think. I remember reading Ode to a Grecian Urn and mm -hmm. going through it line by line. I remember going through Hamlet line by line and analyzing Hamlet's behavior. I didn't feel like we were reading a book. I felt like we were reading a person and everything Buck taught me, I felt, I didn't know it at the time, it was more of the school of life than the school of literature. And that really shaped me. Bill Kelly um, being at DeMatha, and it's, it's interesting when I went to DeMatha, I was not Catholic and now I'm, I'm a Catholic convert and I teach. And the chair of the department yeah, the of theology. Yeah. There we but go. When I was here, I wasn't. And I saw Bill do such a good job at these big issues that, that cross denominational boundaries that cross, um, where people were on their, on their journey of belief. Um, and the classroom was such a dynamic place. It was also kind of a, a roller coaster. You never knew it was going to happen. But also I felt there was hospitality in their own way in the, both those classes, that they wanted to be there, that they cared for the students. And that can play out in different ways based on the personality of the teacher. I agree. I think it does play out dramatically differently. Bill Kelly, who I never had as a student, but I watched lots of times as a colleague and then uh, as his principal, he was a force of nature and uh, performance, and the amount of energy he threw into every class 
it couldn't help but be infectious. Mm -hmm. The students picked up that energy because his passion was so consuming, it drew you to him. He, you wanted to know why is this guy so passionate about what he's doing? I remember with Buck, I can almost remember the exact sequence of poems that we did. We started with Thomas Gray's Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard. And at the time, I thought, you know, sure, I like poetry, right? whatever I thought I knew about it. But you're right. With Buck, you were learning a lot about life. He was very interested in that. But he wanted you to read. And I'm not talking about phonetically sounding things out. I I've taken Spanish, I've taken German. I could, in theory, stand up in front of people and read a text to others without understanding anything about it. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that's the way I was actually reading English when I got to him as a senior in high school. But through the use of poetry, he forced you to consider syntax. He forced you to consider multiple possible ways that a single word might be used. And until you could control all of that and thereby demonstrate that you had that mastered, then you could go on and talk about a lot of the other things. But like you, I remember the life lessons, and I remember admiring those people and thinking, I think I'd like to do something like that with, with my life. Yeah, I, I did too. It, it was interesting, though, because I held them in such esteem that it was almost impossible for me to think that I could be doing what they they were doing. And I fell into teaching. I was getting married. Someone told me it was a good idea to have a job when you got married. That's a, <laughs> a pro tip out there. Yeah. Um, so I needed to get a job and I was emailing um, different places and I emailed DeMatha. I always thought it'd be fun to come back and teach at DeMatha for a few years. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. Not permanently, right. but for a few years. And that was 19 years ago. Um, but you feel when you first get into the classroom, especially at a place at DeMatha that has so many great teachers, you feel like an imposter. Yes. And you are actually trying to be imitating your heroes. And I think as you grow as a teacher, that process of imitation, you start to find your own voice. You still pull from those teachers yeah. that influence you, but eventually you find your true identity in the classroom, which is what made those other teachers so good. Yeah. They were There was an authenticity that was palatable. And you learn that you have to bring that to the class. And hopefully, the authentic self is interesting to your students. Um, and, and like you said, that same dynamic on that first day, I just taught a class about 30 minutes ago. And I still, actually, I get more excited about, here's an idea. I want to sit in with the students and talk to them about this idea. And the fact that I can do that for a living has been one of the joys of, of my life. Um, but yeah, it all started with that class of a student asking me, have I ever taught before? I, I like the way you frame, uh, one, the imposter syndrome, because I think that happens to every beginning teacher, and the notion that we're going to imitate the great teachers that we've, that we've had. And I've had two really influential teachers, and I can't do what either one of them did. So you're right. What I needed to do was grow into a kind of uh, teaching persona that was authentic, but still a persona. You need to be able to put this mask on and then inhabit that as closely as possible to to what you can. But you are there as their teacher. You're not there as their friend, and you're not there as. Um, but if you do it well, you are there as a sort of mentor. And sometimes that's not. You don't know that's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it'll be years later when that happens. And as you begin to grow comfortable with that, 
I think there's pitfalls and dangers there too. You can become, you know, our wonderful colleague Sam Haller has said about 10 years in, he had achieved a level of uh, confidence and that he began to wonder if he was bordered on complacency and he tore his pedagogy down to the studs and rebuilt it again in this uh, in in a different intentional mm-hmm. way. And I think that's a fascinating uh thing. I think every great teacher has probably been three or four different teachers if they last in the career. Because at first uh, you must have had this when you first started you're culturally so close to the kids. You can make references yeah. to all the things that they do. That goes away after a while. And it's scary. I remember thinking as I got mm-hmm. older and I was more culturally removed from my students, right. was I going to lose my fastball? But that's something in August when school's starting, I start to get anxious because I have this fear I'm going to go in the classroom and it's not going to work anymore. Yeah. And then what am I going to do? Now, what I found to be um, fortunate that I've experienced is being an authentic teacher, to me, there's a, there's a, a, a soul. Um, that's the word I'm looking for. Growing as a teacher is very similar to growing as a person. And as I develop as an authentic person outside of the classroom, I become more authentic in the classroom. And what I have found is it's not really about the connection of relevancy that I know the music that they're listening to, <laughs> that I understand the sports that they're into. But I'm an authentic person interacting with an authentic person in a manner which the students know that I care about them and they're the primary reason that I'm in the classroom. And I've been very pleasantly surprised that every year I feel like it's gotten better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that continues. Yeah. But there's always that fear in August that, oh, I lost my jump shot. I lost my fastball. I don't have my legs anymore. Um, and you're right, though. You do develop and change as a teacher. The the uh, the older you get and the more you go through your career and I often make sports analogies, inadequate sports analogies in my classroom. Um, <clears throat> you think about Michael Jordan. When Jordan was a young basketball player, he drives to the lane all the time and finishing um, layups and very aggressive. But then about midway through his career, he developed this jump shot, which made him this other player in the second part of his career yeah. that extended his career. And I think as a teacher, you got to develop that jump shot. Because you are going to lose those legs of being the the young, cool teacher who knows what they're going. I have no idea what my students are listening to. And actually, I prefer that. I like that, (laughs) that I'm ignorant when I go into the classroom. But you got to develop a jump shot that makes you effective and relevant as you develop as a person, as you develop as a teacher. I agree completely. One of the great things that Bill Kelly uh, asked me, he and I taught in trailers side by side. And during change of class, we'd come out and talk to each other. And uh, I was very beginning teacher. And Bill said to me one day across the little uh, stands where we were waiting on for kids to come into class, he said, is it more important to love your topic or to love your students? Had had never occurred to me to frame it that way. And uh, I said, uh, I I don't know, Bill. I, I have to think this, this out. And it was clear that Bill had an opinion and, and Bill loved his topic. But Bill eventually said, uh, what you have to do is you have to love the kids first and then, uh, and then they will catch the love of, uh, the topic. But, and of course, for you, for topics, you've taught not just English, yeah. but you've taught social studies. Now you're in, in yeah. theology. So in a way, for you, it's never just been about the topic. It has to be about the relationships that you build with kids. It is. It is. It's always been primarily about the relationships and, 
I joke with my students, you wouldn't want to be a, a veterinarian if you hated animals. Like I really like medicine, but animals, mm -hmm. they, they get in the way. <laughs> and I think if there's a teacher who uh, is passionate about their subject, but isn't really passionate <clears throat> about their students, that's going to be a really tough existence for that teacher. Yeah. And something I always tell the teachers in my department, it's always about the, the student. It's always about the kid. That does not mean you can neglect your mastery of the material. Right. That actually means you, you would want to be motivated to do so because you do care about that. But that dynamic of the students and what they're going through in life, about what you're going through in life, and this idea, and you can all interact around it, it's very, very special. And when you have those classes where the conversation just flows, it's a really, really beautiful thing. But I, I do think that a teacher has to be student-focused versus subject-focused, and the kids will pick up on that. Yeah, I think the only place that you can afford to be uh, subject-focused, maybe in graduate school, uh, mm -hmm. when you're doing a seminar or something like that, but in high school where we're introducing kids to the life of the mind, that's you have to uh, convince them of that. And I know I, I always tell my wife, I, I don't intend to get in trouble for this. I never intend to get in trouble, but I think I will know it's time for me to quit when I no longer have the energy to seduce a whole class. Yeah. So a little bit like you, 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 you said it every August, you wonder, what if I go in there and it doesn't work? I, I still wonder that. Mm -hmm. uh, 42 years in, I, I wonder, what if I get in there and I don't, and the fastball is gone, yeah. right? And I can't drive the lane anymore. But that tremendous, I think what I want is I want the intimacy of the class that I had back in March, April, May, uh, as we ended the year. And you and I are fortunate. Lots done. We teach a lot of the same kids for a whole year. Mm -hmm. And that's a great, uh, wonderful gift. But at the beginning of the year, you have to go through all of that uh, convincing of them. And they don't care if you've been good for no. 19 years before. That makes no difference to them. It's how good are you right there, right at that moment. There's a great documentary about Jerry Seinfeld where he throws out all his old material and he starts just totally fresh. And what it shows, what he would do is he would wait um, till the last comic went on in these clubs in New York City and he would just show up. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine you're at some small club in New York City? It's 1230 and Jerry Seinfeld goes, can I get five minutes? <laughs> and he goes up wow. there. And what he said is this. I found it very interesting. He goes, being Jerry Seinfeld gave me about two minutes of grace with my audience. But after that, I had to be funny. And if I wasn't funny, I would get heckled. And you're right. You could have been taught in 20 years. They might have heard you. But that dynamic with those students, it has to be fresh right there and then. And they have to believe it. And there's no way to, to fake that. And, and something you said that is kind of a way that I determine my career as a teacher is, do I have the energy and enthusiasm to keep this up? I've had to learn how to pace myself as I've gotten older. Yeah. Because I don't have that energy. Similar to Bill Kelly, I bring a lot of intensity and a mm -hmm. lot of kind of passion to the classroom. But you get to the end of the day and you don't have time for your family. You don't have, you don't have the energy for your kids. And so I've kind of had to learn how to pace that. And also, I think it helps the students pace as well. You, you can maybe exhaust them and overwhelm them if it's just 100 miles per hour all mm -hmm. the time. But you learn those tricks as you, as you go through your career. Yeah, you know, our our wonderful colleague, Tom Kraswitz, who I know we'll have on at some at some point, he Tom has convinced me more to slow things down. I my tendency is to want to give them everything like a mm -hmm. dump truck of cinder blocks That's of knowledge well. just piling out on top of them. And 
Tom has convinced me, slow down, make sure they have the point that you want. Take your time with it. You'll get the payoff once they've got all the building blocks you want them to have uh, as the course of the year goes along. But you can overwhelm kids at the yeah. at the beginning. And I agree with you. That's uh, one of the things I have to remind myself of all the time. But you know, you and I are successful teachers, so lots of times what we want is the memory of what we walked out of at the end of the year before, because at that point, you know, we'd been with the kids for a year, we've had these great experience, we were having tremendous class, and we want to start that up again. And uh No, you have to start that relationship yeah. all over again. Exactly. And it's like a first date and you're hoping it yep. goes well. You're hoping you're not wanting the bill when the appetizers are coming out. <laughs> and it can be scary. But again, like you said, um that first kind of feeling and sense that I had on that first day, that excitement is still there now. And I find it even and sweeter now. And I've been very fortunate to fall into a profession um, that I didn't really plan on doing, but it's been an incredible joy to be able to come to DeMatha and, and play every day. Yeah, it's been uh, wonderful for me. And I am so looking forward to the next uh, ones of these that we're going to do. I think we're going to uh, hit pause here and encourage people. If you have questions or comments for us, again, you can send those to stag symposium at dematha.org. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. And I think we'll talk really specifically about uh, the best thing, the hardest thing, and the most surprising thing we found about, about teaching when we first got going. I look forward to that. Thank okay. you, Dr. McClendon. Thanks, Michael.